You're listening to the Airline Briefing, the industry affairs podcast from IATA, keeping you up to date with the most vital issues facing aviation today. Welcome to another industry affairs podcast. And today it's um, a slightly unusual format um, um, because I'm delighted that we're going to have an in-depth interview with IATA's chief economist, Brian Pierce. And Brian is actually going to be retiring from IATA soon. And so I'm very glad that we've been able to find some time in his schedule to uh, ask him some questions um, that really we're going to try and go quite wide ranging around uh, his views on the industry and uh, what he's seen over his time at IATA. He joined in 2004 as our chief economist and he's seen everything close up since then from the industry. So, um, Brian, it's a great pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. How are you? Well, thank you, Chris. Um, it's a pleasure for me uh, too. I'm I'm well. Excellent, excellent. Well, as we know, it's uh, it's been a, a a terrible you know sort of year and a bit for the industry, and we're going to get yeah. on to that in a moment um, before going perhaps a little more wide ranging into into the future. But uh, to start with. Um, I'd like to quickly ask you, you know, about your your background and and what how it is you ended up specialising in in airlines in the aviation industry. Uh, yes, um, I spent I spent much of my career actually in investment banking. Um, so you you probably uh, might ask, you know, well, why have you swapped that? You know, and it was life in Tokyo and London, looking at bond markets and FX uh, for aviation. Aviation's been much more interesting than financial markets. Um, and I, I think I, I, I got involved because um, having worked as a financial markets um, economist, uh, I then got interested in sustainability. So in the late 1990s, when it was becoming a really important policy issue, um, I, I moved out of uh, investment banking and I worked for a sustainability NGO. Uh, run by Jonathan Porritt, um, Forum for the Future. Um, and while I was there, I was specialising in trying to make financial markets more sustainable, but also aviation. Um, and I did a lot of bits and pieces with British Airways. And it was the then Director of Government Affairs, Andrew Kahn at British Airways, who spoke to Giovanni Bisignani, previous CEO at IATA, uh, 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 and that was the reason I came to IATA. I see. How interesting. Well, we will definitely talk about environment in some detail coming up. Uh, so that that's fantastic with your your background there. Um, okay. So so you arrive in IATA in in, in two thousand and four, and I guess that was an interesting time because um, the industry had obviously had a bit of a a bit of a downtime after nine eleven, but then sort of from the mid noughties it was sort of on an upward trend. I guess it was actually quite a, a boom time at that moment. Well, uh, I don't know actually. I mean, I mean, um, aviation has always been a really strong growth industry. You know, it is one of the fastest growing consumer sectors. You know, it provides enormous value for consumers um, and businesses. Um, of course, airlines have never made any money um, in in doing it. But you know, I arrived at IATA in two thousand and four. That was just after the SARS pandemic, so right. you know, I was getting used to an industry which was repeatedly hit by shocks. And of course, mm. you know, we're in the middle of the the biggest one. So, 
we're, we're going to come on to the pandemic in a moment. But if I could just ask you to characterize that period from, say, 2004 mm. to 2019, just before the pandemic hit, what would you characterize as the most significant changes that occurred to the shape of the industry over that period of time? Um, well, I, I guess, you know, one, one thing that's obvious is uh, e expansion. Um, um, you know, there were there's probably a doubling in the number of cities that were connected by regular air service. And partly that's technology because, you know, we, we've we've seen some of these narrower bodied uh, long haul aircraft, you know, airlines have been able to make connecting cities over long distances pay. It's been a really important source of benefit for for both users, you know, particularly business travelers, but also economists as, as well. I guess the other in, uh, thing and which would interest me as an economist is that, um, you know, just before the crisis hit us, um, so the five years to 2019, we actually saw the most profitable period in the industry, um, which is saying something for an industry which has in the past consistently destroyed shareholder capital. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so the 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 industry was just starting to return its value and 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 sort of get get itself in shape, and then we we see the the pandemic hit. In terms of the the pandemic, what do you think will be some of the key impacts of that, or or is it too early to tell at this stage? I mean. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think that is the right question now. Now that we, I guess, can see light at the end of the tunnel, um, you know, the question is, is this going to have a permanent effect on the industry? You know, we are in an industry which has seen some pretty radical change. But I would suggest that that's mostly from what I would call supply side changes, you know, changes in technology with aircraft, changes, liberalization, opening up of markets and in mm. new competition or business models. Demand side shocks, and I'd probably argue that COVID-19 is largely a demand side shock. You know, our passengers have been prevented from spending money on air travel. In the past, they've always just really had a temporary effect, you know, back to normal after six to 18 months. Um, now, I guess this one might be a bit different just because it's been so much bigger and probably will be longer. And we're, you know, today we're communicating, Chris, over, you know, a Teams meeting, all the other video conferencing technologies. I think people have got used to doing that. That will have some permanent impact and there will be, you know, I think some reduction in business travel as a result. Do, so do you see significant differences between how the full service sector will emerge from this compared to the low cost sector? Or do you think the, the, the impacts are, are broadly the same to both types of uh, model? I guess, I guess, I mean, I guess one thing to stress about the impact of COVID-19 is that although, I mean, I've just said that I think Actually, air travel and certainly cargo markets, the demand for our services will rebound pretty substantially, you know, almost fully. That's not true for airline financial performance. Uh, and one of the, the the cost of survival has been a huge increase in debt uh, and deleveraging, reducing that debt and also you know, reducing government involvement in the industry is going to be a constraint 
on the industry. And, and he's certainly going to soak up huge amounts of free cash flow, not leaving very much uh, aside. Now, is that going to affect legacy airlines versus LCCs differently? Um, well, um, I think, you know, certainly to the extent that some L big LCCs started the crisis with very strong balance sheets and very little debt, um, they're going to be in a much better position. Um, aircraft are really cheap at the moment. Um, uh -huh. You know, we're, see we're seeing some of those uh, airlines jump in and take advantage of that. Uh, whereas the big, you know, those that are burdened with debt, you know, probably not going to be in the market for aircraft for, for, for some time to come. So uh, you, you referred there to, to the debt and the, and the government interference. Do you see, in terms of the future, do you see governments being more involved in the industry or do you think that, that current in, you know, involvement will unwind and we'll get sort of back to where we were and prior to the pandemic? I mean, I think this is a really sort of serious is issue because clearly governments are more involved in the industry. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, the industry sort of welcomes the 230 billion or so cash um, that have been provided by governments to keep airlines on life support. I think the challenge is going to be uh, having governments involved in your business. Um, we, you know, we know that governments are not good at running businesses in competitive markets. So, you know, they have other objectives apart from running a good business and, you know, uh, delivering shareholder value. And we've seen that uh, with some of the strings attached to aid. Um, and I, I think what's needed now after this massive revenue shock is a, a pretty substantial restructuring of the industry so that we can deliver value and growth to our customers and, and connect economies efficiently. And I, what normally happens with a big shock like this is that the market corrects, you know, uh, the weaker airlines whose business models have found to be wanting, you know, go out of the market and their capital is, is redeployed. I think the risk is with governments involved and committing taxpayers money, that process is either going to be delayed or prevented from happening, which mean it's going to be you know, possibly a slower recovery to sort of full profitability and, you know, this overused word, the new normal. Mm. Yes, and, and there are other, there are going to be other factors for government interference um, beyond uh, purely whether they're owning airlines or, or asking for their money back and so on, which which I think we'll, we'll, we'll come to in a, in a moment. But I mean, I know that you've put out a forecast recently, which, which has shown that, um, the industry is likely to be returning um, to its normal growth path. Um, we may have lost a couple of years, perhaps, of growth in the long term, but that doesn't sound like a huge impact when you look in the very long term. You know, we're going to still be growing uh, significantly in, in time to come. What gives you the confidence that that that's going to come back in the way that it, you expect? So I think there's a real difference between um, you know the demand for air transport services, either travel or cargo. You know, that is the thing that we would expect to see bouncing back, you know, not far away from where, where it was um, be before because of the lessons of history. Um, and also because we know we've seen in the economy outside of air transport and hospitality been a really strong V-shaped recovery. Um, so, you know, jobs are coming back. 
we know many consumers have actually accumulated lots of savings over the lockdown periods. You know, for economies like the UK and the US, the estimate is that there's an excess of something like 10% of GDP of consumer savings, you know, that could be spent. Um, so I think we're fairly confident that the, the money's there. If travel barriers come down, you know, that is the thing that is stopping international travel at the moment, not the willingness to travel. So that's give, that gives us confidence that we'll come back with perhaps some loss of business travel because of the Zoom effect. I think it's going to be very different, though, for the industry itself, for airlines, because this debt burden and, and possibly government involvement is going to take time to repair. Um, you know, that's going to mean airlines just will not have the cash to invest in the sort of things that they would want to invest in the in the product in new fleet. Um, you know, air, airlines are going to be in a you know it's going to be a, a very difficult competitive debt burdened recovery for for many in the industry, unless of course we see this you know substantial restructuring, which you know would be the sort of the normal thing, but has been prevented I think by government involvement. Mm, I see. I see. So, I mean, you referred there to to lessons of history or patterns from history, and obviously one of those that's been the most, arguably the most significant, has just been that the cost of air travel has consistently declined over the decades since since the jet age. Really, do you see that process continuing? Has it run its course? What's your kind of best bet? Um, because presumably that that is a very significant driver of future growth. Yeah, it is. And uh, it's important to stress that, um, you know, we, we've seen this fall of the cost of transporting passengers or, or freight re relative to prices in the, in, in the rest of the economy. So in real inflation adjusted terms and in those terms, the cost of air transport has actually come down 90 percent since the late 1950s. I mean, that's astonishing. You know, there aren't many industries that have performed. And that's been driven by all of the supply side transformations, the technology, the Opening up of markets, the new business, you know, the innovation, the new business uh, models, um, and I think that um, you know that there's still more of that uh, to to come. I mean, we are still. I mean, we're a mature industry in the developed world, but in Asia, in Africa, in parts of Latin America, we're we're not. Um, you know, there's people don't travel very much. Um, you know, there's a lot more that could be done. Um, to uh, to to keep costs coming down. I think the threat is from government. Mm. Um, and we're seeing today, you know, an enormous increase in the cost of air travel because of testing costs. Um, and I think that's, a, you know, that's a real worry. I mean, we're quite bullish about the rebound, the prospective rebound in travel. That is contingent on the cost of testing coming down. I mean, today, testing costs can more than double a typical trip for a family. Um, and then I think the second thing that we should expect to happen is that environmental costs will increase, not just in our sector, but uh, across, you know, because climate change is clearly one of the, if not the big public policy challenge of the next decade. So, so let me ask you about that. I mean, in your opinion, does aviation cover its environmental externality? Um, I mean, we did some work with McKinsey about a decade ago, looking at looking at the cost of 
cutting CO2 emissions within the aviation sector, looking at all the levers, all the options that we had to do that. Uh, and what, you know, the very clear conclusion uh, that we came to was that um, you know, very quickly it becomes very expensive for airlines to reduce emissions further, partly because they've got such an incentive in the fuel price to run the most efficient aircraft and the you know, in the most efficient uh, way. Um, so, um, the, you know, if you put a price, um, you know, if you say, oh, uh, aviation, you know, must fully pay for its environmental impacts, I mean, there's a case for that, but it won't actually have very much effect. I think we've got to be much smarter about decarbonizing the aviation sector, which is why there's so much attention being placed on sustainable aviation fuels, you know, electrification, you know, other ways of taking greenhouse gases carbon out of the industry, you know, in a way that's not going to be um, helped really by, you know, attacks, even though mm. governments could say, well, people are now fully paying for the environmental effects. Yeah. So, so the the it's a, the the technological, the practical solutions are, are obviously a much more efficient way of of tackling the root source of the issue than than a fiscal solution. I suppose would be the the, the key summary there. Yes, in in you know, I mean, uh, back in some decades ago, you know, there was a move to switch to unleaded fuel in the autos industry in the UK, um, and and a tax was put on users, which, which was really effective because there was a substitute readily available. Uh, that's not true in aviation. You know, we know that sustainable fuels work, but they cost three, four, five times the amount of other other fuels um, and they're not available in sufficient supplies. So we're at a much earlier stage. You know, aviation, the situation of aviation and climate change and dealing with climate change is different to some other sectors where a simple price tax has worked, wouldn't work in aviation. Yes. So let's look at some other some other points. Um, you've referred to cargo a few times in, in our chat, and um, I'd be interested in your view on what are the significant trends in air cargo. And in particular, obviously we know that um, it, it's, doing, it's doing very well at the moment. Um, perhaps because of some particularly unique circumstances. How does the sector build on, on its sort of current good fortune, if you want to put it that way, um, uh, to, to sustain that recovery? And because I think it's fair to say that it's had a sort of roller coaster ride in, in previous years. Yeah, and cargo's always been underrated. You know, I think uh, it's been underrated by many in the industry. It's been underrated by uh, governments, and I think that you know, if anything, you know, this la these last eighteen months have shown just how important air cargo services are. Uh, firstly, for uh, for airlines in you know su sustaining cash generating services, uh, you know, cargo has been a really important source of revenues and and, and uh, cash cash flow during this crisis. And and for governments, you know, I, th I think it's abundantly clear how important air transport has been. Well, you know, most obviously for transporting vaccines, but secondly for sustaining global supply chains in you know the auto sector, in you know ele electronics. Uh, you know, air transport's critical for keeping the modern um, economy going. Um, I think that 
you know, air cargo will continue to be seen as as a much more important part of the business in the airline industry, um, partly because um, of its you know visibility uh, over the last couple of years. And um, some of these things will go away because you know partly cargo has been so profitable because yields have been exceptionally high mm. because of a a crunch, a shortage of capacity, because normally half of cargo is transported in the belly holds of passenger aircraft, which of course is being grounded. Uh, so that's driven uh, yields up and, and that will normalise, you know, um, once we see the passenger fleet coming back, although I think that will last, certainly last this year. But there are some structural changes going on. I mean, one of the other effects of the crisis um, for consumers has been that I think it's brought the shift towards online shopping uh, e-commerce forward a number of years just because that's what we're all we've been all used to that and air transport plays a really important role in getting those goods to consumers rapidly um, and so that is a structural change which will lift demand for air cargo services um, you know in a, in a sort of sustainable sustainable way. Okay, so that that sounds like quite a positive outlook for cargo. So so that's mm -hmm. good. Um, but there, you know, in general, as you referred to earlier, um, you know, the industry has struggled to be profitable on a consistent basis or to return value to shareholders. And part of that is probably structural in in the industry. You know, how do we arrive at a more equitable distribution of risk and reward across the value chain? Would you say? So part of the problem is that airlines are surrounded by powerful suppliers um, uh, and we need to, you know, for the benefits of all, you know, for consumers as well as airlines, we need to make sure that competition works in all parts of the value chain, the supply chain or the ecosystem, however you want to describe it. You know, clearly, you know, particularly in infrastructure provision, uh, we don't have competition disciplining firms. We don't have competition leading to good outcomes for consumers in terms or in terms of prices or service in all um, in, in all circumstances. And, and the same is, you know, is probably true in the manufacturing sector as well. But, um, you know, a, a lot of the benefits in the whole sector that the whole um, air transport industry produces ends up with the consumer. You know, it's that 90% fall in cost that we've seen since the 1950s. You know, that's pretty much all been passed through in lower fares and lower cargo rates in real terms to, to end consumers. You know, the, that's where the big value has been delivered by the industry. Um, and, and of course, you know, the wider benefits that we provide to economies in supporting, you know, all these supply chains. So, I mean, that's it. So your message to governments would be, you know, if you foster competition, that's going to generally lead to uh, more efficiency and lower costs. Um, and that's fine. There is an area, of course, in, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here slightly or, or challenge a bit um, something that we as an industry believe very strongly in. And that's around the issue of airport slots where um, there is not a market as such. Uh, even though it is a um, a constrained uh, 
uh, good, as it were. And uh, yeah, but we we distribute that due to a, a very sort of complicated set of rules and regulations. It's not a market. Do you see that that's um, actually in the case of airport slots? It's a it's a value that that can't really work as a market um, and therefore needs to be regulated in that way? Or do you envisage a world in which airport slots could work it, it, as, as more of a market and be opened up more? What's your view on all of that? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a controversial issue, isn't it? Uh, isn't it, Chris? Um, mm. and, and it's certainly, I think, you know, what we've learned in, you know, uh, across, particularly across developed economies over the last few decades is that the market doesn't work everywhere um, it's really good at delivering things where you can get competition operating you know when you can get um, in, innovation yeah you know, but there are some things that are better delivered either by government or by you know so, some sort of administrative uh, process and arguably um, you know slots you know is you know in part is one of those just because of the complexities you know it, it's not like a piece of radio spectrum that you can auction uh, right. because there are slots at each end of the of the route you need apron space you need capacity in in terminals um you know you need to respond to different passenger segments you know those are quite difficult things to um you know to have the sort of auctions um that have been proposed but i'm an economist you know i do think that there are some things that work and and actually you know we have seen the market working to some extent with slots in with secondary trading mm. so i think you know primary trading primary auctions i think you know incredibly disruptive you know the evidence suggests that that would be you know very difficult to make it work for consumers certainly not for airlines it would be, be difficult for consumers secondary trading that we've seen um and again this is quite a controversial thing for me to say uh, not everyone in the industry uh, agrees but certainly as an economist I, I i've seen that working um and i think that helps slots end up in the hands of airlines who are the best providers of the service with that slot. Let's look uh, at a couple of other points um, before we wrap up. I think um, obviously there's been this shift eastwards um, in the industry mm. that we've been viewing. And I think uh, you, you, your team put out a, uh, an analysis not so long ago showing that it actually you know, greatly accelerated as a result of the pandemic. Um, what are the consequences of that, do you think, for the industry? And 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 perhaps perhaps, you know, which regions are the most interesting or offer the greatest opportunities going forward? Yeah, um that that's right. I mean, if you if you sort of envisage balancing global air travel markets on a pin, you know, its center of gravity, as it were, um, you know, that would be a, a, that's shifted eastwards. You know, um back when I started at IATA, it was over the um, the North Atlantic near Europe, um, and where that centre of gravity is, it basically means you know you're in a great geographical position to connect passengers around the world. You know it's great for a sort of super connecting hub, which you know we've seen in Europe before. Um, today, uh, that centre of gravity is much closer to the Gulf, and obviously the Gulf super connectors have been taking advantage of that geographical position. Uh, interestingly, last year it shifted dramatically eastwards with 
China really being the only uh, market um, uh, showing showing growth to where we expect it to be in 20 years time. And that's come back a bit, but it's, it's shifting further eastwards. I think the importance is that um, firstly for, you know, the hub and spoke uh, connecting airlines, which is still going to be an important business model uh, for the for the future. Um, but I think it also indicates that you know growth in our industry is coming from the emerging markets um, in the future. You know, Europe, North America. You know, there are only so many trips people can take in a year, and populations are not really growing uh, very much. Some are some are shrinking. Um, so all of the growth we're expecting is coming, you know, and the bulk is Asia Pacific, but, you know, we've got the big sleeping giant in Africa, um, mm. which has huge potential um, and, you know, Latin America as, as, as well, you know, that's where the growth is going to be, you know, south and east of the more traditional, more mature aviation markets. Do you think that the, the industry will ever be able to consolidate in a way you referred to consolidation earlier and and you know we're, we're seeing these powerful carriers arise in the east um but obviously it's constrained politically by by ownership rules do you imagine can you envisage a world where those ownership limits are being relaxed and if that were to happen um it, would that be something that is driven by this this geographical shift or are the two points unconnected no it could be no that's a good point chris um you know because of the um the growing importance of the chinese airlines um at the moment they're very focused on their domestic markets but you know one of the things we've seen in recent years is the outward investment of china both in terms of fdi and i and i you know i would imagine uh, you know, in, in airline services um, uh, and, and involvement of, uh, you know, Chinese um, airlines in, in the industry. You know, we, what we've seen to get around the ownership and control rules, which have meant that this is a, an in, a, a global industry served by national airlines, is the joint business model. Uh, we've seen that as very successful offering benefits to both consumers and investors. Um, so I, I think, you know, we'll see we'll see that spread from being driven by the, um, you know, the, the North American and the European airlines to the Asian uh, airlines. Um, so so I, I would envisage either some consolidation, you know, quasi consolidation through this joint business model, um, or we could see governments changing their minds about um, the ownership and control rules. I mean, recall that IATA in its Agenda for Freedom um, initiative back in 2009 actually got governments to sign up to uh, relax those rules. Um, governments representing 60% of the industry. Um, now that hasn't really gone any further, but it shows that it's a possibility that was, however, in a very different political climate. You know, that was right. in a climate of globalization. Arguably, we're in a climate of more sort of protectionist or at least looking after national interests first. Yeah. So if it does happen, it's not going to happen in the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah, no, I think and, and that, that point about the 
um, the national restrictions, I suppose, just going back to the pandemic, you know, we, in your view, have we seen the, the black swan event to end all black swans or, or is that always a foolish assumption? And how, how does the industry approach the risk of disruption? I mean, we every time we plan for a reopening, um, you know, we just saw it yesterday uh, with the with the UK putting Portugal yeah. back on to to its red list or its amber list. Sorry, um, effectively meaning that people can't travel there. Um, we, you know, the, there seems to be a reluctance to to allow travel to start again, or at least politicians don't seem to regard that as as a key priority. So, where does that leave the industry and and the future, and and how do airlines plan for that going forward? Well, uh, two points. One, um, so is COVID a black swan event? Um, you know, we were actually, we were governments were warned about uh, this sort of pandemic. The trouble is, you know, it came with a list of other things that we were warned about meteorites hitting us, you know, these high impact but very low probability um, ev events. I think, you know, the second point I'd make is that if this has taught us anything, it's that you can't forecast. <laughs> you know, and you can't run it. Well, you can't run a business on forecasts mm. um, because, you know, we, we are faced in a we're working in a world with just a lot of what you might call radical uncertainty. It's not risk that you can understand the probabilities of. It's just things you just don't know. Um, and, and, you know, the variants of the virus are one of those. We just don't know. So I think it that that that's certainly doesn't paralyze business planning, but it means that you need to develop flexibility. You know, you need to be able to respond quickly and flexibly to business environments um, as they emerge. I think that's the real lesson. You know, we're never going to have a five year forecast that businesses can plan for. I think, and to be frank, I think that disappeared decades ago in sort of the thinking uh, of, of businesses. Um, one of the big problems of the airline sector is that we found in this crisis when revenues have disappeared, we're left with fixed costs that we can't avoid, can't get rid of. And I think one of the challenges for airlines, for the industry over the next few years is to try and make that cost base much more flexible. And is that where the value will come for investors or I mean, if, as an investor, do you look at the the structure of the industry and go, well, it's it's got these fixed costs, it's got these these government interference and so on. It's just not a sector that I can see being as dynamic or innovative as it probably imagines itself to be. Or do you look at it and go, well, actually, I look and I can see that there are some carriers you know, who are able to respond, who 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 are able to to uh, be flexible to market needs and. And actually, yes, they're a good bet. Do you, which side of the fence do you come on there? So, so I, I certainly take issue with, with the innovative bit because I think the industry is innovative. You know, we've seen costs come down 90%. Um, the problem for investors is that we give that all away to our customers in low affairs um, because we're such a competitive uh, sector. Well, because we're a competitive sector, but, but also because... Um, to some extent, the, the product, the service that we were providing became very commoditized. Um, and, and so it's very difficult to hold on to a, a margin over your competitors because um, 
I, I, you know, I remember McKinsey saying that they did a survey of passengers at one airport and 30% of them had to look at their ticket to tell you which airline they were flying with. So I think success, there clearly will be some winners in the low fare market. You know, we're seeing those and, you know, in, in Europe, there are a couple of big names, aren't there, that uh, are expanding rapidly. But I think, you know, for certainly the so-called legacy airlines, it's probably going to be about getting closer to the customer. And I think that some of the the retailing technology that, that allow, you know, the new distribution capability, the ability to provide a package that really suits the consumer, get close to that consumer. Um, you know, I don't think the industry has used its frequent flyer programs uh, really in the way that the big data aggregators would to get close to customers. And that's the thing that will build sustainable margins and make a company that's really investable and will deliver shareholder value. And there are some out there, you know, um, the improvement in industry profits that we saw in those five years to 2019 was actually driven by only 30 airlines. Um, everyone else actually just stayed the same, either breaking even or, or losing money. Some of them are getting it right. All right. Well, that's, I think, a really sort of great note to, to basically finish on. I'm going to, I am going to finish there with a couple more questions to sort of you personally. And uh, uh, one would be, you know, when you look back on on the last sort of 15, 20 years of, of what you've been doing, what does aviation mean to you personally? Um, you, you, you talked about how it was such an interesting sector to work in. Um, and, and, and a connected question to that is, you know, what have you got planned next? Are you going to stay in, <laughs> in the industry? What, what, what can you give us any tips on where you're going to end up? So what does it mean personally? Um, you know, I mean, I just love the ability to you know, rapidly um, get to friends and colleagues and cultures that are just so different to mine here in in Europe. Um, what am I going to do next? Um, uh, new challenges, you know, um, I, I, I do intend to uh, stay close to the industry. I mean, really what I want to do is teach. Um, I would love to, I mean, I've been a visiting professor at Cranfield for a while. I'd like to do some more, probably in, in based in, in London. But what I'd like to do is to help shape some of the people and some of the public policies that make our industry, will make our industry great and sustainable. That's an interesting one. I mean, have you noticed how a change in the way economics works with advocacy to to change government policy or to influence government policy? Has has that um, uh, developed over the years? Do, are governments more willing to to accept that as part of the the, the way to, to consider policies? Yes, and I think it's got more sophisticated. Um, so, you know, governments and regulators do weigh up the costs and benefits of putting in a new runway um, or, or, or the impact of a tax on the industry. I mean, we've certainly, governments have, have listened to what we have to say. Now they have some broader objectives. I mean, um, you know, our interest has partly been to, you know, look after airlines and airline investors, but the environment has increasingly become a, a, a vital part of our analysis to you know, look at environmental effects and, and perhaps any, any trade-offs that there are between 
the undoubted benefits of increased connectivity and aircraft services against you know, some of the costs that bring with the the industry at the moment. I mean, once we once we get those sustainable fuels and that electrification, um, then the climate problem is decoupled from the benefits that aviation brings. Well, I think that's a, a wonderfully optimistic and positive note to finish this uh, discussion on. Brian, you know, uh, from, from a personal point of view, uh, I've worked you know, with you and your team for, for 10 years and, and the, the, the clarity of analysis you've brought um, to help us make our case um, to governments, to the media, to the public has just been, uh, been amazing uh, to see. And, you know, on behalf of everyone in IATA, and the industry, you know, you're you're going to be hugely missed, but we wish you tremendous success with all these future plans and challenges. Um, thank you so much, and uh, we I hope we haven't seen the last of you, and you'll you'll come and see us again. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you in whatever new capacities you can contribute to the industry. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with Brian Pierce, IATA's chief economist. What fascinating insights he has to offer. And, uh, you know, he's had so many uh, interesting perspectives on the environment, on the future structure of the industry, on how the industry is coping with the pandemic. I, I think, uh, you know, we will uh, we will definitely miss his insights in IATA, but I'm sure that the industry will still be gaining from his knowledge and experience as we go. So um, if you have any comments uh, or messages for Brian, feel free to, to send them to us in corporate communications uh, and uh, you know, we'll pass them on to him. Um, thanks again to him for all his time today and for his work over the last 15 years with IATA. So thank you to Brian and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, as always, please uh, don't forget to subscribe. You can do so through all the current um, major podcast providers. And uh, we look forward to uh, having you join us on the next podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to The Airline Briefing, the industry affairs podcast from IATA. For more information and the latest news on all the most crucial issues facing aviation today, go to iata.org or follow IATA on social media.